0: Hello chefs, this is Chef's PSA podcast. I'm your host, Andre Nataro. On today's episode, we're gonna talk menus and creativity. Stay tuned. we get into it, brief update. For those of you that are looking for the book series that I have on Chef's PSA, those books have officially been translated into Spanish. So for those of you that needed them in Spanish, they're now available. Now that I've finished doing that, my next project is I'm going to start translating the books into Italian. And I'm also going to create another ebook for free. I'll give it away on the three-part series that I did on food cost A lot of people really enjoyed that podcast series. A lot of people told me they learned more about money and finances than they ever had in their life. So if that's something that you're interested in, go back and listen to that three-part series on food cost and I'll create an accompanying guide based off what was said in that three-part series. So I just put up a poll on Instagram and it was, what was today's podcast gonna be about? It was gonna be about interviewing best practices or the journey that one has to take to become a chef Or was it gonna be about menus and creativity? Menus and creativity one, polls are closed. So that's what we're gonna talk about on today's podcast is creating menus, what my process is when I create menus and how the creative process ties into. I did a video on Instagram the other day, which was part of a class that I had done during the pandemic. It was called how to lead like an executive chef or how to manage like an executive chef. And we went, you know, we treated it like masterclass and we went through every single aspect of running a hotel and menu engineering was a part of that. So I did a a small little clip of that and I put it up on social media and it talked about the 70-30 rule or the 80-20 rule. And I was actually surprised by how much good feedback I received on that. I didn't realize that that was such a foreign concept to people. So I talked about you know creating a menu that 80% of it or 70% of it are items that are going to do the majority of the heavy lifting on the menu. It's everything that's going to sell. What I like to call the fastball down in the middle. And then 20 or 30%, depending on how you break that down, is going to be your area to play and create. So I do want to talk about that. I also want to talk about the creative process and how that ties in to building your own menu. Now, before we get into all of this, I will say not every restaurant is the same and not every kitchen is the same. And it's not a one size fits all. What works for one restaurant doesn't necessarily work for another restaurant. And, and you have to use a little bit of intelligence to figure out like, hey, this, what you said applies to what I'm doing, but this definitely doesn't. So I'm going to trust that you all are going to take what is useful and specific to your restaurant and discard what is not. And maybe just help a friend out who might need it, but not everyone's going to need everything I say. So first thing when you're creating a menu, I think the first thing that you have to discover is what your brand identity is for the restaurant that you're creating a menu for. And there's a lot of different ways to do this. Some people have a brand statement or a mission statement. They have a vision board. But regardless of what that is, you need to establish parameters of what falls into the box of your restaurant and its menu and what doesn't. Because where I see a lot of chefs go wrong is that they create really delicious food or not delicious food And they put it on the menu where it doesn't make any sense. And the example I'll give is you have an Italian restaurant and you're putting tacos on it. Like that just doesn't make sense for you to have on your Italian restaurant or vice versa. You have a Mexican restaurant and then you go put pasta carbonara on it. That doesn't make sense. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to identify what the guardrails are for your restaurant. Because a restaurant has to have an identity. It can't be something one size fits all for everybody. A lot of restaurants are starting to fall into that category because they don't identify who they are what their identity is what is the brand that they're trying to go for and so they end up putting whatever's trendy on the menu and it just becomes this messy menu of a whole bunch of things that really don't make sense i'll give you a good example of what i mean there was a period in time where everyone had a cheese board or charcuterie board brussels sprouts And we just called it New American Kitchen. So I get it. You just want to throw whatever's trendy, whatever was in Bon Appetit for the week. And we're just going to say it's New American and it's going to stick. And yes, that food is delicious, but it didn't really have an identity. And those restaurant concepts sometimes can be short-lived. So a really good exercise that I did to identify what is the brand is we got in a room and we put all the stakeholders in the room. So anyone that has a vested interest in the restaurant and we said, what is the restaurant? And we create two columns. It is this, it is... You know, we listed out 10 10 things that we felt identified the restaurant and said, okay, if it falls in the category of these 10 things, it could go on the menu. But if it doesn't, then it shouldn't even be discussed. So again, we're gonna use the Italian restaurant as the example. If you said your restaurant, again, the identifying words is Italian, local, seasonal, from Sicily, focused on seafood. Let's just say we're using those five. If someone came and said, okay, I have this great, also bucco dish from a different part of Italy, well then that shouldn't go on the menu. It's not seafood, it's not Sicilian, it wasn't local. So even though it is Italian, it doesn't fall into the parameters of what that menu is. So you have to clearly identify what the guardrails are for your restaurant. And I'm not saying you can't ever color outside the lines, but you need to have some sort of predictability for your customer coming in, that they can look at your website and it says Italian, coastal Sicilian seafood restaurant and they say I kind of get it I, I think I know what I'm going to walk into they're not going to go to your Italian coastal Sicilian restaurant and expect you to have ahi tuna tacos on it right some common sense needs to be involved in this menu creation so first thing you have to do is identify what the guardrails are for the restaurant and then there's the conversation of what level are you trying to go for right are you just going for the local neighborhood restaurant or are you going for something extremely high end? You know, are you pushing for Michelin three star? Or are you pushing for just you know you want to be busy and you want to feed the neighborhood? Again, very different ends of the spectrum. If you're going for the three star versus neighborhood, you would have put something that's you'd expect at a three star Michelin restaurant on the neighborhood restaurant, and you wouldn't put something from the neighborhood restaurant on the extremely high end menu, at least not without adding a lot of finesse and polish to it. It has to fit the concept. So your customers, again, can come in and know what to expect. You have to approach this from a business mindset first, right? So establishing what the guardrails are is establishing what the business mindset is for the restaurant. We're going to talk about creativity here in a sec, but let's kind of establish the framework, the bones, business first, right? As we talked about, it's the lifeblood of any restaurant to make sure there's money coming through. Now, every restaurant is going to be different. Like I said, some restaurants apply the four, four, four rules. So like four starters, four main courses, four desserts. You know, that's that's a smaller type restaurant. Some people are going to go into a tasting menu only. Some people might have a large menu with like 50 items on it. You know, every single restaurant is going to approach it differently. But when you're creating a menu, a good way to look at it is the amount of inventory and the amount of mise en place that you need to create the menu. There's a lot of factors that you have to consider. So you have to consider how much inventory do you need to execute this menu? How many cooks do you have on the line to execute the food that you're trying to put out? I'm gonna get off subject, but at one point in my career, I was the chef of a restaurant where we were doing a tasting menu and it it was complex and we were punching above our weight. What I mean by that is we were we were looking at like what uh, El Bully was doing. It's like, we got to be as good as El Bully. You know, this is when bubble food was all the rage. And what we were trying to do with like five cooks was just not feasible. It was, it was not realistic to do that level of food with only five people tasting menu only and all the other things that we had to deal with, right? And what ended up happening is, you know, we spread ourselves too thin. And then what we were trying to execute, we just executed it sloppy just because we didn't have enough people to execute it well. Where you see that where a lot of chefs are pushing to really achieve the most that they can with whatever goal they have in their specific market. And they spread themselves too thin and they spread their team too thin and it ends up not working out very well because there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so much a human being can do. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't push yourselves to excellence. Sometimes I would go into meetings with people like we'd have menu meetings and I was ambitious. So I'd say, I want to do this, 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 this. And I'd get pushback from some of my sous chefs They'd be like, that's too hard. It's too ambitious, this, that, and the other. And I would get frustrated and I would say, I don't need to be surrounded by a bunch of people telling me what we can't do. I need to be surrounded by people telling me what we can do. What can we achieve? If we want to be the best, we need to be able to push and saying we can't do it. We're not going to have any success behind it a lot of times, like I needed some people to push back on me, but other times I needed to push them a little bit because sometimes, sometimes as the chef, you have to know where that line is. You have to know that you've pushed your team too far and they're on the edge of breaking and and it's just not healthy or you haven't pushed far enough. Right. And, you know, take a, take a good look around your kitchen. Are people busy? Are they screwing off on their phone half the day? Well, then you could probably push harder. Right. I mean, Use some common sense and some discretion when you're designing your menus. Now, when we're talking about what's going to go on the menu, so again, we, we discussed the guardrails that someone needs to have on the menu. So everything that goes on the menu has to pass the test of does it fall on the brand and in, in the guardrails of what we're trying to achieve. Once that's been taken care of, then we need to say, okay, the 80-20 rule, what I was talking about earlier is like 80% of your dishes should be familiar because that's going to carry the bulk of your sales. So 80% of the dishes on the menu should be easy for someone to understand. It shouldn't be so complex that they don't know what they're looking at. Like the expression goes, chefs cooking for other chefs or chefs cooking to impress themselves. If 80% or 100% of your menu is chefs cooking for chefs or chefs cooking to impress themselves and it's not in the right neighborhood most likely you're going to fail the the reality is is you are not going to be able to serve that super intricate food in every type of setting right there has to be a little bit of common sense in determining what's going to go on your menu so like i said 80% of the people that are coming in they're going to have simple palates they're going to order the things that are familiar to them you know empires can be built off chicken parm or a hamburger or a really good pasta or really good tacos, like the basics do well for a reason. And to not have the basic things on the menu that are going to sell is actually going to hurt your restaurant because you don't want someone to come into your restaurant and say, I need a translator for what this is. I don't understand any of it, right? Early on in my career, I remember someone had come up to me and they wanted to put this weird shit on the menu that I I really wasn't jiving with. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm a pretty serious chef. There's no way I'm going to put that on the menu. And I remember having a little back and forth with my boss. And they, they caved in. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Because when I was a young chef, I just wanted to do amazing food and I could care less sometimes about would it sell or would it not? And in retrospect, that was stupid. They should have fired me because now when I go and consult with people and occasionally I come across with chefs that'll say, I don't wanna do it, that's not my food. I was like, well, the food that you're trying to do is not this restaurant. You're gonna end up closing this person's business because you wanna do your food. There has to be a good balance on the menu. Now, let's talk about the 30 to 20% that you have to play with. That's where I would start to introduce things that are maybe on the fringe. So new techniques, obscure ingredients, things that maybe I like or my team wants to experiment with. So a lot of chefs that worked with me would be like, I want to experiment with this particular ingredient. I'd say, great, we'll put it on the menu, but it's going to be in that 30% range. It's not going to be something that I would anticipate that will sell. And and usually I was right. Like we'd put something obscure on the menu and then you'd look at your menu abstracts and it's like the chicken parm sold a hundred and that one sold zero or that one sold two because the reality is like if you're putting it on the menu and no one else is liking it, it doesn't matter. You're, you're not cooking for yourself and you're not cooking at home in many cases. You're cooking for the audience that's coming in. But I think there is a certain level of experimentation because you will be proved wrong on occasion. You'll put something on the menu thinking that it's for the chefs. And next thing you know, everyone's getting it. But that 30% should be where you experiment with new techniques and new ingredients. It should be learning, but that should be a rotational thing, right? So those are coming off. Another portion of the menu is the portion for me, like in restaurants that I would run, there was a portion that would never change. So we had our signature items and let's just say it's, you know, these five items, they never come off the menu. We may adjust a little here or a little there, but the fact of the matter is, is those don't change because those are our greatest hits and everyone comes in to get that. It's the example of like when you go to a concert, like you want to hear all their new stuff, but they play like the same five hits. It's like, well, that's what makes them the money. That's what everyone really wants is the, is the five hits. So you see it a lot in the music industry. You can learn something from the music industry as a chef, right? The greatest hits. The Rolling Stones, Satisfaction, Wu-Tang Clan, Plain Cream. Great songs, by the way. But the point is, you might want to listen to the new, the Fringe, but they're gonna play the classics. The same thing has to hold true in your restaurant. You wanna make sure that the classics don't move. Maybe you adjust them a little bit. So again, you have that 30%, you have the classics. And then there's something that I like to call the sucker shit. And I think having sucker shit on your menu now is more important than ever as we move into the age of social media and Instagram. So what is sucker shit? Sucker shit is the kind of thing that influencers come in and they take their phone out because it comes to the table. It's the Salt Bay action. It's the gold-plated tomahawk. It's the obscure thing that's shaped into a cake. It's truffle oil on French fries. Like that, that is kind of like the crack for influencers. Like, oh my God, it has they have truffle fries. Like most people know, like I personally hate truffle oil, but I'm not opposed to putting truffle fries on the menu because I know it's going to sell, right? So that, that's that fastball down the middle, but it's the, it's the sucker shit. So I'll, I'll tell you a, a funny story. When I would be designing menus with my chefs, Every now and again, we talk about like, we need some sucker shit on the menu, stuff that the influencers are all going to pull out to their phone for dinner. And so right before the pandemic happened, I was working with my pastry chef and I said, I want to come up with the most obscene ice cream sundae. And I want to make housemade ice cream. And I want you to make, you know, homemade magic shell. And I want to use the most expensive cherries and have on glaze and, 10X vanilla bean ice cream. I said, I just want you to make it so over the top and garnish it with gold leaf and go to the table and pour it table side and serve it on a silver platter and make you know a whole bunch of pomp and circumstance around the dish. We're going to sell it for $50. Sunday for four for $50. And I want every single table that comes in that's a party of four or more to get it so they can all take their phones out and record it. And I want to be on everyone's Instagram when we're doing this. And it was, it was, I mean, it, it was, you know, sucker shit, but it was delicious too. Like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes sucker shit is delicious. And so we put it on the menu and we put it on for like 60 bucks. People would buy it all the time and everyone wanted to take pictures with it. And it worked right. The, the table side ports, the souffle coming that everyone's going to take their phone out or the Girardon being wheeled to the table, depending on what type of restaurant you are, where they're slicing the meat or they're, you know, slicing the ribeye at the table. It's the... It's the chocolate pinata. That is kind of the stuff that you know is gonna bring attention to your restaurant. So what I would tell my chefs is you want that to get them in and then you show them the cool stuff that you're working on, but that's the stuff that makes your restaurant go viral on social media. We had a dish that we did and it was, um, I'm sure everyone's done it, but this is what we were doing. We were doing tater tots with aerated gruyere cheese and black truffles. And we would sell it for a certain price and we kept raising the price, but no one ever complained. No matter how much we raise the price, people would still buy it. And my chef de cuisine at the time would come up to me like, I want to take this off the menu. It's not as intricate. You know, we want to, we want to push. I said, look, push on all this other stuff, but keep that on the menu. I know it's not like the most soignee thing, but trust me, it's the one thing that everyone comes in and takes photos of and Every single table gets it. And it's a cash cow. Don't take it off the menu. I think to this day they still have it on the menu, I think. But it's one of those things that you have to have a good mix of that sucker shit on the menu that everyone wants to come in and take photos of. And like I said, then you get them with the other stuff. This doesn't apply to all restaurants, but it applies a lot where you do tasting menus. You have the opportunity to have supplements on there. I think having that on, especially from an incremental revenue standpoint, is a good thing. So let's say you have a tasting menu, and you see this with a lot of high end restaurants. They'll have the supplemental caviar, the supplemental truffle, the supplemental A5 Wagyu, that's a good way to increase and add value to what you're already doing. So for example, let's just use that tater tots as an example that I had earlier. I could say we have tater tots with aerated Gruyere cheese on top, but for X amount of dollars more, we could supplement black truffles or you could supplement caviar, right? That is adding value to what you're doing. It's it's those luxe items, right? So if you have a tasting menu and you have this course or that course, or for extra supplement, you could add in the lobster or you could add in the A5, right? So for $25 more, $50 more, whatever the case may be, you add in those more expensive items. And then once you've written your menu, you should hopefully go through some sort of process to vet it, make sure you do tastings, make sure everything's correct. And you should be reevaluating your menus quickly. So you're adjusting them as needed. You know, what's selling, what's not. A good practice is to run the menu analysis at the end of every month and evaluate what's selling, evaluate what's not, and adjust as needed, right? The longer you delay, the more it's gonna affect your bottom line. Now, the last thing I'm gonna talk about when it comes to creating menus, when you want to introduce things, but you're not sure how to introduce them. This is something that I do. This This is just my pro tip is if I wanted to introduce an obscure ingredient, I might introduce it. For example, everyone loves beets, but not everyone loves foie gras. So maybe I will create a beet dish with foie gras versus a foie gras dish with beets. So if the first thing on your menu that you see is beets, a lot of people are gonna be likely to order it. Uh, But if the first thing that you see on your menu is foie gras, they may be less likely to order it. So when I needed to introduce things like that, I would introduce them you know i'd partner them up with someone that was really popular right so if, if you know I'd, I'd i would introduce the obscure friend with the really popular one so like i said beats with frog gras. and i know that's not that obscure but sometimes in some parts of the country it's very obscure and i think that's a good way to look at that is to to introduce people to things that they might not be comfortable with by having something that they are comfortable with on the plate already i i do believe that Creativity is a collaborative process. So when I'm designing menus, I usually get as many stakeholders in the room and we would write down ideas and we would just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. So if I had five people, I would tell everyone come with five ideas and let's just go through them. And sometimes you what you'd end up with is a, a dish that's a mishmash of several people's ideas. So I might say, let's do the beef this way. And someone else may say with this sauce and, and this vegetable, And then before you know it, maybe we have an amalgamation of a lot of different ideas. So think about it like this. If you're changing your menu and you have a couple of items that don't change, right? So, you know, your greatest hits, and then you have, you know, the sucker shit that might not change. And so you're experimenting with, you know, 30 or 40% of the menu that's going to change for the season or whatever. That might only be like six or seven items. But if you have five people coming up with 10 dishes a piece, That's 50 ideas, 50 menu ideas that you only need five or six, right? And so then you're able to really push the creativity. Now, once we've determined what those items are, we'll go out and we will cook them. And so the way that I would do it is everyone would would cook the dishes, we'd sit there and then we'd pick the dish apart. Because sometimes on paper, things sound delicious and then you try them and they just don't work. And it might be an idea that just it's time hasn't come or you fully don't understand the technique yet you got to let the cake bake as they say so when we get into the creative process we're all trying the dish and the creative part is super fun because that's where you get to experiment that's where it's okay to fail you know the guardrails are a little bit looser on the creative portion of the menu and honestly that's also sometimes the place where you could get that attention that you need for your restaurant it's the local press the write-up in the newspaper whatever the case may be sometimes that comes from that 30 percent, because the the people that are writing about food usually write about what's on the fringe they don't ever write about you know the roasted chicken that much they they write about you know the octopus bubbles anyway you get my point so playing with that 30 percent on the fringe sometimes is what's going to get you the recognition that you need and then when my group of chefs would get together and taste If if the dish is up there, we'd all really pick it apart. And for me, in that creative process, in that menu ideation phase, it's the time to be the most critical. So we would taste it and we'd say, we'd look at it this way. This is how I would look at it. Say, we'd look for something balanced. What is the, what's the salt level? What's the heat level? What's the acid level? What's the fat level? And we'd want to make sure, you know, kind of like an equalizer on a stereo. You adjust all the knobs until, until the dish just is delicious and so like add a little bit more acid add a little bit more fat add a little bit more heat add a little bit more sugar add a little bit of this add this gastric finish it with olive oil boom then you get it or you know brighten it up with freshness maybe it needs more fresh herbs or whatever the case may be then you add the texture and once we'd be really happy with how the plate tastes then we start would refining the presentation on it so the presentation was was after the taste so do another podcast on taste versus presentation. So presentation came after taste. Once it tastes good, then we could work on the presentation to make sure it looks good, right? And this was a good exercise for us to really be critical and pick things apart to make sure that that final product was excellent. Now, a lot of restaurants don't change their menu that frequently. So... You know, pro tip when you're changing your menu, make sure that everything's costed, weighed, measures, make sure everyone has recipes before you start, before you roll the menu out, make sure people have seen it. There's nothing worse than a menu change when you walk into work and you have no idea because you've never seen any of the dishes. So chefs, make sure you're communicating that. That's the worst, don't do that. But I'll tell you, sometimes you do get in these creative ruts. A lot of times people will message me and say, what would you do when you're in a creative rut? Like sometimes it happens. When I was younger I was the chef of a place that did a tasting menu only restaurant and we had to change the menu every day. My boss at that place happened to be a big fan of, you know, Thomas Keller and the French Laundry and Charlie Trotter and said, "They change their menu every day, you need to change your menu every day." And so he never allowed me to repeat an ingredient twice, which is extremely difficult. And it sounds good until like you're on day 2 or day 3, day 5, day 20, and it's like shit. You have to make eight to 10 courses that are different that you've never done before. I would do better at it now because now I think I'd probably come up with a better system. But back then I thought every single day I had to come up with something original. You didn't have to do that. Like you could have said, you know, you, you make a grid and you say, here are my sauces, here are my my sides, here are my beefs. And then you, you kind of like a matrix and say, let's put this with this with this today. But anyway, those types of restaurants are much more creative creative and they probably don't play in that 70 30 role especially when you're talking about restaurants on the world's 50 best it's their job to play in the creative and the abstract right but let's be honest not everyone's in that world like you know a couple of people will get on my social and like talk crap and be like oh no creativity i'm out and then you look at their page and it's like dude you're serving like filet with asparagus what are you talking about creativity Anyway, there's true creativity, right? And then there's like, I just want to cook my food. I don't want to be told what to do. So like everyone needs to calm down and understand that there's a difference there. And it's extremely difficult to work in these places that change the menu every day. Shout out to restaurants that do that. Shout out to David Breeden uh, from the French Laundry. Changes the menu every day. And one of the best restaurants in the world. Those guys are ninjas. Like you look at what they do. And you look at, if you change the menu every day in 10 years, how many dishes is that? 4,000, 5,000? I don't know. It's a lot. Shout out to those guys that have to live that life. It's not for everybody. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely creative. And very, very elite chefs. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up. So hopefully now you can leave with a better game plan and make sure you have a good mix of items that are going to sell. Make sure you have some items that are creative and that you can experiment with, but be ready to take them off the menu rapidly. Have a couple of things that are going to get people in to take photos and get them in the doors and gain attention for your restaurant. But most importantly, cook and have fun. Anyway, if you want to support the show, you know what to do. Make sure you leave five stars. If you're on YouTube, leave the thumbs up button, subscribe. Nothing less than five stars, by the way. That's it. Five-star podcast. If you don't leave five stars, it's because you're a liar and a hater and you don't want to be a liar and a hater. So I appreciate the five stars. Go to chefspsa.com. That's where you get all the books, English and Spanish now. Working on Italian, that'll be out soon. Go get the free eBooks as well. Get yourself some merch. Thank you very much. Hit the porno music.